0: Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of James, chapter 4, and in just a moment I'll begin reading in verse 1. James, chapter 4, verses 1 through 10 today. I want to ask you, have you ever considered how many different ways the word world is used in the Bible? I've read the Bible multiple times and I have seen at least three ways that the word world is used. First of all, it refers to the people who are in the world. most famous Bible verse, I believe of all, is John 3:16. Jesus was speaking at night to a man named Nicodemus, and he said these famous words. Let's read it off the screen. And, boy, we've got a big screen to read it off of. I hope it's up there. Like I said, there it is. Here we go. Read it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loves the world. He loves everybody in the world. Jesus died for everybody in the world. Anyone can be saved. God loves people. He loves people. And that's one way the word world is used. But there's a second way, and that is to talk about the planet Earth. The world is used that way. Yesterday, I read in my quiet time, my devotional time, my time with the Lord, Psalm 24. Well, right out of the gate, verse 1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, and then he explains that. This is Hebrew parallelism where he makes a statement at the beginning and then explains it at the end. The statement again is, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. That's the people of the world. You and I are part of the world. All of mankind is connected. And I I think this is a good place for me to say that there's only one race, the human race. There's only one race. There's only one race, the human race. We are biologically connected. Now, my wife has gotten on to me before because I say we're kin to one another. And she said, say biologically connected. Okay, I'll say biologically connected. But guess what? We're kin to each other too, all right? And I'm telling you, we all stepped off of the boat of Noah, (laughs) every one of us. We all go back to Adam and Eve. We are united. And we talk about blacks and whites. There's nobody in here that's white. I asked my granddaughter, am I white? She said, I said, are you white? She said, no, I'm khaki. (laughs) Got any khaki people here today? Yeah, that's what you're. you're not white. And really, there's nobody black. We're all different shades of brown. And we all came from Noah, who came from Adam and Eve. So we're all connected to one another. And we're part of the world. So quit talking about my group and my group. Stop that. We're all connected. If you don't like that, take it up with God, okay? I can't help that. But there's a third way that the phrase world is the world is used in scripture, and that is the evil world system. It is anti-truth, anti-God, anti-everything <laughs> that we think is good. Anti Jesus, anti-church, the evil world system that hates Christ hates his church, hates us gathering together, hates us speaking about the Word of God, hates the fact that there is truth that only comes through Jesus Christ. And we are not to love the evil world system. We're to love the people of the world. We're to love the planet. I I don't worship the planet, but I love the planet. Don't, don't, Don't you thank God for nature? Don't you thank God... For beautiful uh, mountains and for streams and all of that and and we, we love the the, the, the earth we, we do that we don't worship the earth but we do love the earth because God created it and we love people as well but we do not love the evil world system we do not love the devil we do not who is over that evil world system we do not love how it divides and tears up families and how it destroys people's lives and how the enemy uses it to tempt people to sin. It's the evil world system. Paul talked about it in Romans 12, verse 2. Don't be conformed to the what? Say it out loud. The world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove or discern what the will of God is. And the will of God is three things. Good, acceptable, and Perfect. That's the will of God. John said in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, don't love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away. And also it's lust. But the new one, but the one who does the will of God, lives forever. How many of you know the world is passing away? How many of you own a mirror? How many of you have ever bought a car and within a month, somebody had opened their door on it and put a little ding in it. Anybody out there? Yeah. Or maybe you got to go to Kroger or some other grocery store, Piggly Wiggly, wherever, and somebody let go of one of those little shopping carts and it ran into the side of it. You you know, anything you get, you think is going to make you happy, it won't make you happy if Christ is not in it. So the world is this system that... The devil is all behind, and it's the aspect that James is talking about today as we talk about overcoming worldly wickedness. Look at James chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members. You lust and you don't have, so you commit murder. You are envious, you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Could we read that phrase together? Friendship with the world is hostility toward God. Let's all read it together. Friendship with the world is hostility toward God. Therefore. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us, but he gives us a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, mourn, weep, let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom, and humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and he, not you, he will exalt you. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from thy law. In Jesus' name we pray. And if you agree, say amen. Amen. Well, as we talk about worldly wickedness and overcoming, let's talk about the reality of worldly wickedness. Is it really out there? And, and, And when it's part of our lives, what does it result in? Well, Worldly wickedness, first of all, according to our text, leads to a life of struggle. If you're wrapped up in worldly things, you're going to struggle spiritually. Look at verse 1. What is the the source of quarrels and conflicts among you is not the source your pleasures which wage war in your members. Now, the word quarrels is a Greek word polemos, polemos, And it means literally conflict, literally war or battle, a fight. But figuratively, which is how it's used here, it's talking about people fussing and this conflict and quarreling with one another, having strife. And it's where we get the English word polemic, the definition in the dictionary of polemic is, a polemic is contentious rhetoric. Intended to support a specific position by forthright claims and undermining of the opposing position. That's a fancy way of saying a polemic is a knockdown, drag out fight with words. It's words. These words that are polemical, they're critical, they're hostile, they're cutting, they're sarcastic, they're caustic, they're bitter. That kind of speech is what he's talking about. Don't be involved in quarrels. What is the source of your polemos, your quarrels, your fighting, your conflict? What is it? And then he uses not just the word quarrels, polemos, but also conflicts, which is a word that means battle and disputing and quarreling. So he uses these two words, the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's the it's the works of the flesh. It's all of this battling and disputing and quarreling and conflicting. And it's waging war in our members, that is, in the church, within the body of Christ. Why are you quarreling and arguing? within the church. Why is this infighting going on in our churches? Why does the devil want to destroy denominations like the Southern Baptist Convention with quarreling and bickering and pettiness? Why does he want to do that? Because he wants to undermine the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and its effectiveness. Because if we continue to argue and fuss, we ruin our witness with the lost world and we can preach all we want to, but they don't want to listen because they don't believe that we really believe what we're talking about. That's what the devil's up to. It's waging war in our members in the body of Christ. Quarrels. So, worldly wickedness leads to a life of struggle. It also leads to a life of sin. A life of sin. Look at verse 2. You lust, but you don't have. So you commit murder. You're envious. You cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. Look at verse 2. You lust. Epiphemia. Strong, strong word for wanting something that you should not have. Wanting something that you should not have. Jesus used it about men lusting for women. In the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about it in Matthew 5. 28. He said you're yearning for something that you should not have. You're lusting for things. He's referring to someone who is determined. They're resolved to sin in a heinous manner. That's the sinful life that worldliness leads to. Verse 2. You lust. epithemia, And then you commit murder. When you can't get what you want you'll even kill for it. You might just assassinate somebody's Character, but you will murder, you'll commit murder. This picture is someone completely out of control, their temper is completely out of control, and their speech becomes a lethal weapon. At best, it depicts uh, character assassination with words, but it can also actually lead to somebody being hurt or even killed. I want to say this to you your tongue can do a lot of damage. And we've talked a lot about that. He talks a lot about that. You can murder somebody in the sense of tearing them down and destroying their, uh, their, the, the way that they're perceived by people by just talking negatively about them. And then he says in verse 2, you are envious. You're full of jealousy. You're bitter. You're resenting other people. And that leads to murder. It's jealousy, he says here, led to the first murder. If you think about it, I mean, why was Cain, why did he kill his brother uh, Abel? Because Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God. Cain's was not. Cain got jealous, and jealousy caused the first murder. Now, you, you, you say, well, I'm not killing anybody. Are you killing people, their reputation with your tongue? Are you killing them with, your bad report about them, not physically killing them, but you're killing their effectiveness. You're destroying part of their lives. You're fighting and you're quarreling. Again, in verse 2, he mentions it again, referring to those who love to fuss, love to fight. I, I'm telling you, man, you, you got to be careful with this, especially in our day. There are people all over social media that just love to fuss, They love to fight. They they just they wake up and say, Who am I gonna slander today? This is gonna be awesome. Can you imagine that? I I heard about a guy, he said, I I know somebody, they wake up and they brush their teeth and sharpen their tongue (laughs) at the same time. Don't be like that. Don't slander people. Worldly wickedness, lust, murder, envy, jealousy, fighting, quarreling, it's a life of sin. Worldly wickedness also leads to a life of shortage. Notice what happens in verse 2. People that live like this, they never have enough. Whatever they receive is just not quite enough. You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. He says you don't have it, you're lusting for it, but you just can't get it. You you're, you just never seem to get what you want. You lust, but you don't have. You're envious, and you really want these things, but you can't obtain them. You don't have because you're not asking, and when you ask, you don't ask for the right reason. These three phases talk about the lack that comes from someone who is worldly, living in worldliness, and what they're wanting, only God can provide. Only God can fulfill your ultimate desires. And the reason when you get something, you say, I want a car. You get the car and the car doesn't satisfy you. Well, I want... A, a spouse. You get the spouse, and you use them up, and you say, well, that's that's nonsense. Well, I want children. Well, they come, and you don't realize you got to change diapers now, and so that's not all that great either, you know, and so everything you get, you think that's, you get this job, you get that job. Some people can never keep a job because they're always in this job looking for another job that might be better than the job they got instead of working on the job they've got. And so they're always moving around, always shifting around. Well, you know, maybe over here. Maybe if I just try to... I know pastors that just can't stay in one church because they just flip around. They say, well, I've I've got a better opportunity over here. Listen to me. That's the flesh. That is not God. God wants us to be content in Jesus Christ. And then all of our other circumstances are secondary. You're not going to be fulfilled unless you're fulfilled ultimately in Jesus. I want to say something to you. Hey, mister, your wife is not there to fulfill all your needs either. There is something that only Jesus can give you, sir and you can't get it from your wife. And ma'am, there's something that your husband can't give you, and it is Jesus Christ. And you, you can't get out of your husband what only God can put into you. Do you understand that we can make anything an idol? We can make anything idolatrous a life of shortage because we're looking with the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and the lust of the flesh. That's the world. And then it's a life of selfishness. Look at verse 3. You ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. What's the wrong motives? So that you may spend it on your pleasures. God, I want this. And what you're saying is I want this because I want to be pampered. I want to be taken care of. I want you to take care of me. I want you to please me. Lord, it's all about me. It's not about your kingdom, Lord. I don't want to seek first the kingdom. I want to seek first mine. I want mine now. Can't live like that if you're going to be a Christian. Can't. Can't have it both ways. You can't have the world and the kingdom of God also. Can't do it. I'm sorry. You've got to love Jesus with all your heart and not love the evil worldly system of self and idolatry. Worldly wickedness, man, it manifests itself in some ugly ways. A life of struggle, a life of sin, a life of shortage, and a life of selfishness. That's the reality of worldly wickedness. And that's why there's so much turmoil in our world, and there will be until the Lord comes back and establishes the 1,000-year millennial reign of peace on earth. There will be no peace on earth until the Prince of Peace comes back to this earth as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So, let's now, let's move on beyond the reality of worldly wickedness. Does God punish worldly wickedness? Absolutely. Let's talk about the retribution for worldly wickedness. Look at verses 4 and 5. You adulteresses, Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God? Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He, that is God, jealously, God is jealous for his children. He jealously desires the Spirit which he has put in us, which he has made to dwell in us. God jealously desires for his spirit to work in you to make you more like Jesus Christ. That's what he desires. Not that you might be more worldly. Worldly Christians, now this is strong. Put your seatbelt on. I'm just going through James, all right? I'm not mad at anybody, but I'm going to preach the Bible. And I'm not trying to grandstand. I'm just telling you. I'm going to tell you what it says. Worldly Christians commit spiritual adultery. That's what idolatry is. When you're worldly, you start worshiping the things of the world instead of the one who created the world. You get all wrapped up in stuff. And this, in my opinion, is America's greatest sin. And look at me. It is tempting to me, and it's tempting to you as well. Everybody in the room needs to listen up because I'm talking to me, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to my family, and all of us, worldly Christians commit spiritual When you're worldly and you're a Christian, you're cheating on God. That's what you're doing. Look at verse 4. Right out of the gate. You adulteresses. And then he ties that adultery to idolatry. Look at it. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? You know what Jesus said? You can't live a double life and enjoy it can't have it both ways. You can't have a heart divided between the Lord and the world. He referred to worldly Christians, Christians that are focused more on the world than they are on the kingdom of God. He said, you are spiritual adulteresses. You're cheating on God because you're engaging in idolatry. Look at me. What is idolatry? Putting anything else before Jesus. That's all it is. It can be your family. It can be your job. It can be your money. It can be your health. I know people that call themselves Christians that barely ever read the Bible, but they are buff, man. They work out all the time. And their body is their God. Their health is their God. I got news for you. God can pull the plug on that real quick. You tell me you don't have time to read the Bible and yet you work out an hour and a half, two hours every day? Something's wrong with that. Is it quiet in here? Revering and serving something other than Jesus, that's idolatry. Adultery is being immoral and unfaithful to your spouse. Idolatry is being immoral and unfaithful to God. It's friendship with the world and it's unholy. Idolatry is a blatant act of spiritual unfaithfulness. Do you remember by the way, in the Old Testament, whenever there is idolatry, immorality is soon to show up. You remember when they were worshiping the golden calf while Moses was getting the Ten Commandments, one of which talked about adultery. And he's up here on the mountain with God, and they're down here making a golden idol, and his brother Aaron, when Moses asked about it, he said, what? What happened? He said, I, You know these people, I just threw their gold into the fire and out came this calf. That's the dumbest thing I've ever read in my life. That's exactly what it says. Huh? I don't know, I don't know how to. But as soon as they start worshiping this calf, then they have a time of immorality. And that's putting it mildly. They went off the rails and committed serious sexual sin. Idolatry and immorality go hand in hand in the Bible. When you start lusting for the things of this world, it won't be long that you'll start lusting for people that you should not be lusting after. Just the way it works. Worldly Christians commit spiritual adultery. It happens all the time. Worldly Christians also cause divine jealousy. God is jealous for his children. I hear some people say, God couldn't be jealous. Jealous, Jealousy is a sin. No. Jealousy is projected positively in the Ten Commandments when it's God having jealousy for his children. I'll read it to you in a moment. God's jealous for those of us who know him as Savior. I know it's not bad because God is jealous for us. You know, see, so I, I don't commit idolatry, brother Steve. I, I don't bow down to Molech. I don't bow down to Baal. You don't have to bow down to Molech or Baal to be an idolater. Family can be your idol. You can be so consumed with your family and always wanting to portray that everything's okay. How's your family? Oh, we're wonderful. We're so wonderful. We are wonderful. I mean, just look at my Facebook. Look, That's how wonderful we are. Have you ever noticed that they don't take pictures and put it on Facebook when they're fussing on the way to church? How about Don and I on a date? (laughs) We don't like to eat the same kind of food. I like food that's probably not real good for you. You want to go get a salad? No, I don't want to go get a salad. I want some fried catfish (laughs) with hush puppies and onion rings. Well, that's not good for you. You didn't ask me that. You asked me where I would like to go. We don't put that on, oh, let's put this moment on Facebook. We're having a fuss in the car and don't look so holy. That's when family becomes an idol. We just put it on there like, oh, look at these 15 wonderful grandchildren and everything's great. Put that down. You're going to kill yourself. That's how you talk to your grandchildren a lot of times. Why are you eating that electrical cord? What's wrong with you? Can I get a witness out there? Anybody out there? Yeah, anybody real? Anybody real in the house of God today? Yeah. Oh, we make an idol out of it, though. Our marriage, oh, it's just perfect. It's perfect. I've been married 41 years tomorrow. Amen. Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, praise God. Amen. I'm just, you know, you know, that she's she's kept me this long. There's a few days I feel like chunking me out the window. Amen. I think that's enough of that. I had another illustration, but I'll just stop. I'll tell you that God is jealous for us. He doesn't want Steve loving this world. Brother Bob. he wants me loving him. That's what he wants and his kingdom. Exodus 20, 1 and 6 gives the first two commandments. and They're about God. Spoke all these words saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I brought you out. I'll tell you what to do. That's what he's saying. Here's why I can tell you what to do. Here's why I can give you 10 commandments. I brought you out of the house of slavery. How many of you God brought you out of the house of slavery of sin? Amen. Look at this. That means he can tell you what to do. You don't tell God what to do. He tells you what to do. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any Likeness of what is in heaven above on the earth, beneath, or in the water under the earth, you shall not worship them or serve them, for I, read this out loud with me, please, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Jealous God. I visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but I show loving kindness to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. when you commit idolatry when you start loving things instead of God you are being unfaithful to God you are being a spiritual adulterer you are being an idolater and we're all tempted to do it and just like God will punish anybody who is a fornicator or adulterer go read Hebrews 13:4 i'll read it to you here it is marriage is to be held in honor among all the marriage bed is to be undefiled. Fornicators and adulterers, God might judge. No, God will judge. And he will also judge not only people who commit adultery and fornication in the literal way. He will also do that when you are unfaithful to him as an idolater. You've got to overcome worldly wickedness. Because if you don't, there's going to be divine retribution. well, there's the reality of worldly wickedness, the retribution of worldly wickedness. Are you ready for the remedy? Anybody ready for the remedy out there, all right? yeah, he said, brother Steve, these sermons boy they're they're tough, yeah, but they always end good, okay and i I didn't write this i mean i'm just I'm just the preacher, okay, I'm not the cook, I'm just the little waiter getting it to you, okay so it always ends good. He tells you what to do after he tells you all the problems. And here's the, here's the remedy for worldly wickedness. It's a seven-fold plan to overcome worldly wickedness. I'm telling you, if you want to defeat worldly sin, here's how to do it. Write this down. If you don't write anything else down, write these seven things down and start putting this to work. I do it. have to use this every day, every day. Number one, submit to God. Say that with me. Submit to God. Look at verse 6 and 7. He gives a greater grace. All right, how many of you are glad that the grace of God is bigger and stronger than our sin? Amen? He gives a bigger, a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Daily discipline. Wake up and surrender. That's what you do in your prayer time. My Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is today. You're surrendering to God right there. Pouring out your heart and saying, God, not my will, but thine be done today. I surrender. It's a daily discipline. I give you all my rights, all my privileges. I surrender to the will of God. You're in control of my life. Regardless of what happens today, I believe that you're holding me in your sovereign hands, and I'm not going to worry about it. I believe that you are in control, and I die to myself Romans 12, 1, therefore, God says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service for you. Just put yourself on the altar. God, I present myself to you as a living and holy sacrifice. I die to myself. That's what I talked about last week, and I'm yours. Every day, I submit and surrender to God. Number two, I resist the devil. Look at verse 7. Resist the devil, and he, maybe, just maybe, he might flee from you. Is that what it says? Resist the devil, and he what? Will flee from you. Nowadays, Christians don't, they don't even think about that. They say, well, I got saved. Devil can't bother me. Devil can't harass me. What? I'll try to be as nice as I can. What a bad answer. The devil bothered Jesus. The devil bothered Paul. The devil bothered Peter. Who do you think you are? The devil comes after angels even, all right? So look at me. The devil is going to bother you. <laughs> and you've got to resist him. When did resist? When when did ignore become a synonym for resist. We're not to ignore the devil, we're to resist him. We are in a war. He is the enemy. People are not the enemy. Go read Ephesians 5. You don't have a problem with anybody. It's the demonic spirits behind those people where you need to do the fighting. That's the only place you're going to get any victory. You've got to resist the devil and he will flee from you. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He wants to devour you. He wants to devour your marriage. He wants to devour your thoughts, your mind. He wants to devour everything about you because he hates you because you love Jesus, and he hates Jesus. He hates the Jesus in you. The devil in this world hates the Jesus in you. That's why he's after you. That's why he's trying to destroy your marriage. That's why he's trying to destroy your children. That's why he's just trying to destroy the Southern Baptist Convention and every church that preaches the gospel. Yeah. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him firm in your faith. Mark 3, 27, no one can enter the strong man's, that's the devil, the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. I tell you, when you pray, you are binding the enemy. You're binding him with the blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus, the word of God, the spirit of God. You're plundering his property and you're loosing at the same time love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When you pray and when you fast, you are doing damage to what the enemy wants to do in your life against your family, against this nation, against this world. I want to tell you, you need to get in the fight and get on with it. Put on the whole armor of God and start praying and asking God to use you as a warrior for Jesus Christ. You need to resist the devil. That's how you move mountains. That's how you thwart the schemes of the enemy. Number three, draw near to God. Now notice you submit to God, you resist the devil, and as soon as you resist the devil, go back to God. <laughs> go back to God. Go back to God. Draw near to God. And he will do what? Say it out loud. Draw near to you. you catch that? Some of you are saying, I don't feel God. I, I, God's not talking to me. Are you talking to God? God talks to people that talk to him. He said, you come to me, I'll come to you. You draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. You don't just lay out there in osmosis and and God do something. No. God's saying, you, you step out in faith and watch me meet you. That's the way it is all over the Bible. You desire God to be near to you, draw near to him. Number four, be purified. Look at verse 8. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Get clean with God. There's a prayer I pray many times. You know, you can feel like, how many of you know that you can feel like everything's okay between you and God when it's not? Does anybody know that? Pray this prayer sometime Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Just just pray it with me right now. Let's just pray it right now. Read it off the screen. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. How many of you think that's a good prayer to pray? Amen? God, just show me, search me, uh, tell me what's going on here. Is there anything I need to confess and repent of? But God wants to cleanse you, He wants to purify you. Psalm 24, I read this yesterday who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, who may stand in this holy place, who has clean or cleansed hands and a purified heart. Draw near to God and then be purified as you forsake your sins. And number five, be broken. I preached a whole sermon on this last week about Jacob being broken. God broke him so he could bless him. Look at verse nine. Be miserable, mourn, weep, let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Nobody likes to have fun more than me. I enjoy that. I, have, I, I love to have fun, but I want to tell you something. There's a time not to have fun. There's a time to weep and to mourn and to be miserable over my sin, over the sin of this nation, and let my laughter be turned into mourning. There are 2,000 babies being absolutely mutilated every day in abortion. How can we never mourn for them? Who's weeping for them? Bible says that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Luke 19, 41, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. Who is weeping for Memphis, Tennessee? Who is weeping for Collierville? Who is weeping for Millington? Who is weeping for Cordova? If we don't, who do you think is going to do it? Do you think these people out here that have what they call churches and they don't even open the Bible. They just have a little five-minute talk about something relative to something out there and they call it a church. I want to say this. If a church like Bellevue is not going to weep over lost people and over the lostness of this world, who do you think is going to do it? Who do you think is going to do it? If you and I don't do it, who do you think is going to do it? Who's weeping over Memphis and the lostness of our city. Be broken. And then be humble. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. And by the way, when you read the word humble in the Bible, many times it's a reference to fasting. Many times. In the Old Testament, they would humble themselves. And everybody humbled themselves on the Day of Atonement whether they took medicine or not, okay? You can you can fast at least one meal, okay? You can. Even if your doctor says no, <laughs> you can fast at least one meal. Now I'm telling you, we need to humble ourselves. And look, humble yourself. Everybody say that with me, humble yourself. What that means is, don't wait for God to do it. Don't live in disobedience and sin. Long enough where God has to do it because you won't do it. Look, you're going to be humbled. Either you're going to humble yourself or God's going to do it. Don't wait on that. Humble yourself. And then be exalted by God. Be exalted by God. Verse 10, he will exalt you. It's not that you will exalt you, but he will exalt you in his own way. That's the remedy for overcoming worldly wickedness. I want to ask you, are you willing to submit to God, give him everything? Are you willing then to stand up in the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and resist the devil? Are you ready then to draw near to God so he'll draw near to you? Are you ready to be purified and to be broken and to be humble and to be exalted by God? That's the how to defeat worldly wickedness. How many of you believe the world is getting darker morally and spiritually? Does anybody believe that? How many of you think that over the last few decades, the last decade, the last decade, has it not gotten morally and spiritually more dark in our nation and in our world? And do you realize that's going to be the way it is until the coming of the Antichrist and the great tribulation. Jesus is going to take us out in the rapture, I believe, before that. But then Jesus will come back and set up peace on earth at the end of the great tribulation. He'll set up peace on earth for a thousand years. But once in a while, once in a while, on our way to Armageddon, over the last 2,000 years, once in a while, God will rally his people to pray and they'll have what the Bible calls revival. Not a revival meeting, but revival. If my people, called by my name, will humble themselves, if they'll fast and pray and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin, and I won't stop there. I will what? Say it with me. Heal their land. How many of you believe America needs healing? Amen? It's only through getting right with God, humbling yourselves before God, defeating, conquering worldly wickedness let's bow just a moment ask god right now to search you say god is there any worldliness in my life is there anything that if you took it away from me anything that you took away from me that it would bother me if i still had you lord is there any any idol in my life have i made my family an idol have i made some possession, an idol? Have I made my job my idol? Have I made my reputation my idol? If people came against me and started putting me down and destroying my reputation, am I dead to that and alive to you? God, is there any idolatry in my life? Is there any worldliness in my life?